And the reason I flew through the ranks is because everything that I learned about telling stories is the exact skill set you need to be a good salesperson. I was able to use that experience and it was actually the best prep I could have had. Not only did I know how to do it, I knew why I knew how to do it and I could explain and teach that to other people. Hello and welcome to How to Fail Successfully, the podcast that teaches the steps to success through the stories of failures. I'm so happy that you can join me as I interview some of my favorite people and encourage them to share their story with you. I'm Matthew Carrier, and this is How to Fail Successfully. Another episode of How to Fail Successfully. My name is Matthew Carrier, and today's guest is Dom Cappuccilli. In this episode, we're going to discuss what I'm calling story selling. Okay, so Dom specializes in storytelling, and he helps businesses share their story. And their story can be the difference between failing successfully or successfully failing. And in this episode, we're really going to dive into how Dom found his beginnings in life and in business. And how we learn that the stories that we tell ourselves in our life's trajectory sometimes have completely different endings than what we expected. Once again, I want to remind you that a couple of these episodes were recorded probably over six months ago. So some of the conversations of, shall I say, the coming soon may already be here now. So let's hop into this conversation with Dom. I hope you enjoy Welcome to the show, Dom. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, Dom is the CEO of the Clean Cell Consulting Firm, which I'm going to ask him to talk about here in a second. What attracted me to Dom was the fact that he's a trained storyteller. Uh, He teaches people to tell their story in in order to help them sell either themselves, their business. And so since I'm very passionate about being able to tell your story, uh, I thought Dom would be a great guest. So welcome to the show, Dom. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk about how I've failed. <laughs> yes. Love it. <laughs> well, Dom, what are you working on today? Uh, I know I mentioned the clean cell. Tell us really quickly about that. Yeah, sure. So the main thing that I do is I, I work with entrepreneurs and recently funded companies to help them tell a better sales story and really help them create an entire sales effort from the ground up. So I've had a chance to build sales teams and build sales efforts really from product development on in my career. I've been lucky enough to do that. And I, I really enjoy entrepreneurship and meeting entrepreneurs and, and working with them, especially in the early stages where they're kind of in that grind. And, you know, a lot of them are really strong technical or subject matter experts, but they, you know, their craft isn't sales. The burden's still on their shoulders. So I help them fill that gap where a lot of companies fail and, and get them from those early days to something that's more in line with best practices in a sales organization that scales up for them. I love it. You know, a lot of people may brush off sales, not realizing that there are sales in every single aspect of your life. Everything that you do involves some sort of selling, (laughs) selling yourself, you know, every single day you are doing some sort of selling. And so it doesn't matter if you're selling small crafts or large products to a large mass audience. It's important to understand how to sell. 
Yeah, I mean, I can relate to that feeling a lot. You know, I was like this chip on my shoulder and I wanted to make more money. I came from like a working class family and it was, I always had this thing like, you know, if you want it, you have to go out and make it. And I remember my first job, I must've been like 14 years old or something. And I got lured into like a Cutco knives pyramid scheme kind of thing. And that is poor selling generally, or at least I, I found it to be the way that it, that particular one was run. Not that some people haven't had success, but that idea, I felt pushy. I was talking to people in my personal life, trying to get them to purchase this thing, trying to get people on my organization and all of that. And, you know, that whole experience made me say, I'm never going to be a salesperson. What I didn't realize at the time, though, is that there's a huge difference between sales done poorly and sales done well. When people think of sales, they often think of what I was just talking about, kind of this pushiness or this aggressiveness or this manipulation of people. And what I learned later on in life, after many different trials and errors, which we, we can talk about, is that when you're doing sales right, it doesn't feel that way. And that's really what I try to, to work with my clients on, is helping them get over that kind of mentality that sales is terrible and something they don't, they don't want to do. You mentioned growing up in a working class family. If you can take us back to the beginning, uh, walk us through what shaped you into who you are today. Let's go back to the beginning. Well, I was born on a Monday when the church bells were ringing. <laughs> so back to the beginning as far as my professional or just my family background. Yeah, I mean, what got you into sales? What Were your family salesmen? Yeah, so my father's a salesman. My father, he worked for the same company for 34 years. That company went under and, you know, he's been kind of bouncing around ever since. But, you know, it wasn't like one of these things where my father came home and he's like, he was telling me about, you know, how great his sales were. I think I think there's some skills that I learned from him with regard to like reading a room and that type of thing that helped me much later in life. But that wasn't really the background I had. I think really what it came down to was, you know, my parents didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, I never really had like, hey, do well in school and, you know, we'll take care of whatever you need. For me, the message I was given is if you want something, you have to go buy it or earn it or pay for it or whatever. So, you know, I was always thinking, okay, well, the, you know, I liked that self-reliance and I liked that responsibility and I felt like, okay, well, it's it's on me to go get this. You know, it didn't matter to me that I was 15 or 16 years old. So I got a job at Red Lobster when I was 16 as a host and then kind of worked my way up to a busser because they were making more money. And, and then I remember I was like, well, I heard this other restaurant is actually paying their bussers out tips. And I remember going up to the GM uh, the restaurant GM at Red Lobster and just saying, well, after I got the job offer, I said, these other guys are offering me a job. And I figured out that, you know, if I work, you know, the average that they're getting is, a, I think, $35 a shift in tips. If I think about what that looks like for my hourly, you know, I'm making like 11 or $12 an hour if I do that. At the time, I was, my, I was making $5.15. And I, said, and, I, and I said to him, well, I think I can move as fast as two of your bussers. So if you get me up to $10 an hour, you can save the HR costs. Or, I said something ridiculous. I was like 16 years old. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I said, you know, and I won't have, I like working here. I won't have to take this other job, but if my, my pay needs to go up at least three or $4 an hour. Like I was asking for like a 75% raise. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. At least minimum I wage. This guy please. looked at me and was just like, get the hell out of my office. What do you, you know, like I'm, I'm running a red lobster, man. Like leave me alone. Right. So it was just kind of that whole thing. And then I got there and I, it was okay. You can you know, okay, when you're 18, you can be a waiter when, and I turned 18 and they said, well, you, you look a little young to me. And I said, I don't, I don't buy that. Went and got a job somewhere else. 
So it's always just kind of this thing. In a way, I was a bad employee because I was. Uh, I think that's a good good way to know if you're you should be an entrepreneur. Yeah, <laughs> if you're a bad employee. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't a bad employee because I was incompetent. I was a bad employee because you know I didn't care as much about the security piece of it. I always kind of felt like, all right, I can go get this next thing or I'll be okay. But I was a bad employee because I was looking at my employers and I was saying, well, here's the value you're getting out of me, you know, and if you want to keep me, we need to keep moving, uh, you know, or we need to have something that's is mutually good or we're going to go find something else. You know, it, yep. it really depends on the person. There's other people yeah. I know where they hung in at a company. I have a friend right now. He was doing back office at a hedge fund and his dream was to move to front office. But, you know. He didn't have a Stanford or a Harvard MBA or he didn't go to Wharton or anything like that. And making that move is super, super difficult, but it's what he always wanted to do. And he was with this firm. He was with this firm for 12 years. And, yeah. you know, he always told them that he had this interest and they said, we'll talk about it. And, you know, and then they kind of delayed a little bit and delayed a little bit more. And he always and he stuck with it and he did get promoted to an analyst, you know, 10 years in and he's doing great things and he's making a bunch of money. So like that path, that path was right for him. Whereas I probably would have bailed earlier and looked for the next, look for the next thing. So I'm, I'm certainly not advocating that that's the right way, but you know, that's always been my personality, which is okay, great. You know, you, you do something, you get good at it and then you figure out what's the next thing that I need to do to grow to the next place. And I've certainly taken wrong steps doing that, I think, but it's, uh, it's always been my personality. Sorry, I mean, I feel like I just went on a huge tangent. I don't know no, if you no, actually no, 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 it's perfect. You, know, you said you possibly took a, a couple wrong steps along the way. What was that first time you felt failure? What was that first time that you felt that big blow to the gut that you were like, oh, am I going to be able to bounce back? Oh, man, this? I felt so many of those. <laughs> the first big professional one, I think, was... My background was I went to school for journalism, and my first job out of college was a sports reporter, which is what I thought I always wanted to do. But, you know, I was working down at this paper, and I was making like $23,000 a year, <laughs> you know, like something just you know, not, not very much money. And I was writing the same stories all the time. And I think I got so caught up with this was the path that I had always imagined when I was a kid, and I wanted to do it, and I was so obsessed with can I do it? that I never really thought about, do I love doing that thing? You know, I enjoyed telling stories, but did I enjoy like sports that much. The stories that I was telling, because like the people who are sports reporters for a living, I mean, they can tell you Pete Rose's batting average from like 1978. They live this stuff. This is their life, you know, and it's super, they're super, super interested in it. And for me, it was always just kind of like, okay, well, I enjoy, I've always enjoyed sports and I was a huge fan of the Syracuse football and basketball teams, which is where I'm from when I was growing up. And, you know, I thought that would be for me. But one of the first things that I, I realized was like, wow, when you actually get into what reporting is, mm -hmm. it, especially sports reporting, you're at, you're talking to the same coaches all the time. You don't really are, you're not really doing human interest pieces. You're writing a lot of the same stories. And I felt kind of like a monkey who was doing it over and over again. And that was a big hit for me because I also happened to be down in backwoods, Georgia, which wasn't the right place for me to be. It was too small. And I knew that I wanted to live in a bigger city. And I was eight months into it. And I just made the choice to, you know, I had, I had kind of a run in with my editor when I wanted to change some things. And I just made the choice to quit. 
they said, well, you know, you get your head on right if you want to continue to do this. And I said, okay, well, I quit then. And I, and I remember it. It was one of the funniest things. I just knew. I've always just known when it was time to go, but I, I just knew when I quit. And But there was a huge grieving period there. You know, I was like, this, this is what I thought I wanted to do. This is the thing that I was all for. There was a point where I just had to listen to what was going on inside. But, you know, I had to then figure out something new. And that process, you know, I went from sports reporter to human interest reporter to author to screenwriter, where I went to grad school for screenwriting in uh, in Los Angeles. And I went through all of those things. And now I run my own company, which is a sales consulting firm. Think about all the different things that I did and on the outside, yes, there was a grieving period when I moved on from each one of those things. And, you know, I don't know if I, I, I wouldn't characterize them as failures. I think at the time I might have been really afraid they were. You know, I didn't like giving up on things. It was never something that I really enjoyed. But I always found later on when I had when I listened to myself and got out of there that and kind of decided to do the next thing that it was always it was always the right decision. But it was it was a sad one. You know, and there was a grieving for the person that I thought I was going to be going into that. Right. And now I have to kind of synthesize and make a new person. What advice would you give somebody who possibly is in that same position where, you know, maybe they they went to school, they studied it, they got that first job out of school, they're in it and they just don't like it. It just is not clicking for them. How do they make that job? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is why don't you like it? Right. What are the reasons why you don't like it? And for me, I liked the, the product, the end product that I could do as a writer. I really enjoyed having written. But the actual process of, of being a writer for a living and, you know, I still do a lot of writing now, but it's it's morphed. But like the actual process of being a writer for a living is kind of solitary. You know, so you sit there, you go over drafts over and over again and you spend a lot of time alone. And for me, I'm I'm an extrovert. I'm a person who draws my energy from social interactions with other people. So, you know, if, if the work wasn't that, then it was time for me to go. From an advice point of view, I think the first piece of advice I can give is forget about the accolades and the awards and all of that stuff. Do you like the day-to-day -day grind of what you're doing? Is it interesting to you? Yeah. Like my friend that I mentioned who is now an analyst who was doing back office stuff for 12 years, he works eight to eight. But he loves it. He loves the subject matter. Sometimes, of course, he's tired, but and from like actually going through and doing it. But like this guy lives and breathes that stuff, and it's super interesting to him. And like going on a deep dive into a stock for eight hours and putting together a fifty-page PowerPoint about you know everything in their portfolio is super fun to him. And what I do now is super fun to me. I really enjoy the work. So. The question that you have to ask yourself first is, why don't I like this? And if the answer is, I don't like the day-to-day -day work, then I, I think you have to listen to that, and I think you have to respect that. Where people get in trouble is that they think that they have to start over, and they think that everything that they did was a waste up until that point, which is a feeling that I relate to. But my story is living proof of that, which is, you know, I didn't start my sales career until I was, I think, 28 years old. Uh, 29 years old. I had been doing something else for 10 years almost. And I thought, oh God, I'm going to have to start completely over here. And I'm not going to be able to take anything that, you know, 
I'm going to, it's like, I'm going to have to start at entry level. And I flew through the ranks. And the reason I flew through the, the ranks is because everything that I learned about telling stories is the exact skill set you need to be a good salesperson. And I was able to use that, I was able to use that experience. And it was actually the best prep I could have had because not only did I know how to do it, I knew why I knew how to do it. And I could explain and teach that to other people, which are the very skills that I'm using today all the time. Let's talk a little bit about why telling a story is so important to you. Why is that a main part of your sales strategy? Can you kind of go into that? Yeah, I mean, I think storytelling is kind of a buzzword, right? I think people get really caught up with, oh, well, storytelling is hot right now, <laughs> which I don't, which I find to be hilarious, but because storytelling has always been hot. Exactly. <laughs> the fundamental way in which we communicate and empathize with each other as human beings is through story, right? When you come home and you've had a really tough day, you tell your wife that story or you tell your husband that story. When you want your husband to take out the trash or, or your, your wife to pick up the kids or whatever it is, there's a persuasion that happens. And usually the way that you persuade them is by telling them a story, right? The story isn't like, oh, some great parable or you know esoteric tale or something. Sometimes a story is just something with a beginning, middle, and end that moves somebody to action, you know, a story is a, w a way in which we do that. So when I think about story or why it's so important, you know, I like to think about movies because I'm kind of a movie buff. And if you take like the movie Hotel Rwanda, which is all about the genocide that happened in Rwanda, great movie. It's so heavy, but great movie. And if I just show you the statistics about the people who died in Rwanda, even though you see that, it's really, really hard to feel it. But when you hear one person's story, you connect to those emotions. And then it, that like seeing that small story allows you to empathize with just how bad this was, you know, and what this whole country was going through. But if I try to tell you a story of the entire country or I just show you statistics or something like that, you can't feel it. Stories are, are human beings greatest invention because it's allowed us to do so many things and it's allowed us to feel. That was part one of my interview with Dom Cappuccilli. If you've been a fan of this podcast or you've enjoyed this episode, please go right now and subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. I know this may be asking a lot, but by taking those five minutes, you're telling iTunes that How to Fail Successfully is providing valuable content. And this in return, this will allow us to be seen or more accurately heard by a larger audience. So thank you in advance. Tune in next week as Dom shares a few more pivotal moments in his story. You know, if I'm selling brooms, I don't need to know the number of bristles you have and you know, how fast it can sweep. The story I need to actually tell is what it's like to have a dirty floor and how terrible that is. You know, so if you start telling that story, you'll connect with people because it'll start resonating with them and they'll start understanding. So you need to start with their story, not not the story of you. I'll see you next week.